0: you're listening to the jubilee montreal podcast jubilee montreal is a christian church located in downtown montreal that exists to share the good news as a spiritual family for holistic transformation for more information on jubilee montreal visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org detox is a series that we're doing on three things that we really should probably get out of our lives. And these three things are not things that we might think are the biggest deal or the things that, you know, there might be bigger issues in your life that are causing you more problems or maybe are more serious. These things are quiet things, things that most of us have that we don't think about, that most people probably won't call us out on, that we'll be able to pretend to ourselves for a long time probably that they're not really issues, that we don't really have a problem. And I want to say that these things are not things that you should get rid of because if not, God is after you or we won't accept you or some, something like that. These are things that you should detox from because they're toxic, because they're bad for you, they're bad for your life, and they're very difficult to have a relationship with God while we have them. It's possible, and we all do. You'll see in a second, I just said I do about 5% of this. I'm about, yeah, I have about 95% of this in my system. After I fasted last week, maybe i have a bit less. Uh, so to, last week we talked about giving up control, and it feels like a lifetime ago. But giving up control was about living life in such a way where when, we, when you look at your future, you look at tomorrow, you're not gripping on to your life so hard. You're letting go and letting God bring of your life what he will. And it's a very difficult thing to do, and I understand if, you, if you're not used to talking about God or, or, or you don't have a relationship with God that you know, if you don't know anything about Jesus... That'd be that be pretty scary to do to just give your life up and, and trust that God will do something with it. But we saw so when we do that, you're really free, and something good will come of your life. Today, I don't need to look at that anymore. Giant screen right in front of me. Today we're talking about silencing the noise. When we talk about silent, when I talk about silencing noise, all of our lives, just like we're all kind of controlling things, even things that we're not consciously thinking about all the time. We're also all distracting ourselves all the time. And noise is busyness, it's distraction, it's restlessness. So this looks different for everybody, and I think different people have this issue to different levels. I think I'm pretty, pretty good at it. Ask Angelica. Um, this is toxic. Being busy is toxic. I understand that we hate so There's So here's a, just a little uh, side note. While I talk today, you're going to have all kinds of thoughts that say, yeah, but I have to do this. Like, I have a job, and I have responsibilities, and I have kids, and I don't, like, I have things to do. I am busy. Okay, so that's true. And it doesn't matter for what we're talking about. It's not about doing nothing. Okay, so hear what I'm saying? It's not about just doing nothing. And then we'll keep going, because I'll probably say that, like, five times. The reason we're so busy, you just think about yourself, you think about people you know, we're constantly looking for something. I don't know what your stuff is, but here's a few. Here's a few uh, examples. You might not have an iPhone. That's an iPhone. It kind of looks. It's an iPad. It's an iPad, isn't it? It's an iPhone. It looks really stretched. Okay. <laughs> Either way, you have some kind of tablet or phone or whatever you've got. You might have that. That might be glued to your hand all the time. You might have this thing. It's definitely a drug. You might do that thing. Those are just three kind of things. They might have something else. It might be magic cards. I don't know what. You're doing. <laughs> if it's not that, I think the the hardest one, at least for me, is my thoughts. It's hard to slow my thoughts down. Here's a quote about what deadens us most to God's presence within. I think is the inner dialogue that we are engaged within ourselves, the endless chatter of human thought. I just want to start bringing to your mind things that you fill your time with. And it's easy to start with things you don't absolutely have to. Okay. What do you go to when there's nothing to do, when it's just you're bored and it's silent? That's an epidemic, I think, in in our city, in our world, uh, that you're constantly trying to fill your mind and your time with space. The other, I don't know what yours is, so that's the box for you. (laughs) Why do we do that, though? Why are we so busy? Why, and I promise, this will get to God. It has everything to do with God. I don't know why you do it, but for me, I don't know completely why I do it or else I wouldn't probably do it. That's, you know, it's a hard topic to talk about. That's why I gave you a little warning at the beginning. But one reason is, is because you'll find, and I was trying to do this last week, it, I basically made my whole fast about this for myself. And I was marginally sick I mean, besides fasting, food, and things, that what I was trying to do was spend time in silence. That was it. I didn't want to journal. I didn't want to read. I didn't even read most of the the, the thing that we sent out on purpose. I said, "It's good if you want to do it. It's good." I, I read a lot of it. It's good. But for me, I knew what God was saying to me was, "I want you to be silent. I want you to sit in silence with nothing and wait." And uh, I read a book about silence and solitude. That's how, yeah, it's funny. I read a book about silence. She gives a little... It's like this, too. I'm giving a talk about silence, really, is what this is. It's a weird thing to talk about. It's weird anyway. I don't know if you thought about this, but I think about it often. It's very strange. If you're, not, if you're new to church, this will make sense to you. If you've been in church, churches a long time, this might not make sense. Really, but It's very strange what we're doing right now. This is, I'm, I have a microphone, and I'm talking about God. And how you can have a relationship with that? I don't know why you should listen to me, first of all, but, but it's just—it's just—it's an, an interesting idea, you know. When you start thinking about it, that that we this maybe not, and maybe it's just my own existential thing, but we're ta- we're sitting around. I mean, this is so different than what you do often, unless you're talking with other people that know Jesus. It's so weird to get into a room with a bunch of people and talk about God, someone we can't see. You might not believe in Him. You might believe in Him, and we're all on a different kind of. We're all somewhere on the journey to believing in him. You think you believe in him, maybe you don't completely. It's a strange thing. And it's even stranger to talk about silence. <laughs> so, so when I tried to do that, though, I found it very, very difficult. I don't know if you've ever done that. You try to take five minutes. I'll, I'll give you some ideas at the end. You try to take five minutes and sit and do nothing. And it's best if it's dark and you have no noise, no distractions. In real five minutes, sit there. The reason this is important is because we're constantly filling. I know I do it. When I don't have anything, my, my soul has found that my mind racing can always save me. I don't have to have anything to, have to, have anything to distract me because I can just think. And then I'm saved from what's going to happen when I'm silent, which is that I have nothing. All my fears start rising up. All the doubts I have start rising up. All the things I haven't wanted to be honest about are kind of just there and I can hear them again and I'm not sure I want to say them to God and I'm not sure. I don't know who else I could say them to. This is why we're always filling our life and filling our time because there's things for all of us that we're not willing to deal with. This, this talk might be too far down the road for some people, but there's things we're not dealing with and if you don't detox from this thing, from busyness, from, from noise, it's going to be really hard to move forward. The reason we're talking about this today and I really felt even when I fought that I didn't want to include this, is because this series is about detoxing from things that hold you back as you start the year. So we could have sat here and talked about resolutions and having vision for the future and having faith to move forward, but, you know, all the things you could talk about at the beginning of the year. But if you do that and you never deal with this, you will run so fast through the next 11 months that you won't even hear what God is saying to you. God is not as interested in the plans we make as the plans he has for us already, like we talked about last week. And if you want to hear it, you're going to have to be, to be silent to let go. So, so before I keep going into the scripture, I'm not telling you not to watch Netflix. I'm not telling you not to be, have a phone. I'm, I'm, it's just to say to start, what are the things that distract you? And why do they distract you? What's the noise in life that's, that's crowding in that you can't be quiet? Because actually, I think it's almost impossible, even though I do it all the time, it's almost impossible to have a deep relationship with God where real transformation comes. If you're wondering, I don't know why it's not changing, it's not changing. I'm trying so hard. It's really hard to find transformation without silence and solitude. Throughout the scriptures, there's a theme of rest, of silence, of solitude, for example. Psalm 46 says, you probably know this verse, Be still and know that I am God. And, and verse 10 comes after these verses of explaining how God is so big, how he controls the world, how, how he makes wars stop, and he takes, he takes uh, military weapons, and he, and he trashes them, and he, he's huge. And he says at the same time, so be still. And know that I am God in order to have a relationship with God as He is there 's this part of God that requires that you stop, that you stand before God and have nothing to say, even prayer I 'm talking about prayer today the only if I say prayer, the only prayer i 'm talking about is a wordless prayer i 'm not talking about praying with words i 'm talking about communing with God, of having a relationship with God where you can walk with him without saying anything. I know this might be like you know floating away from some of us, but just stay with it. Be still and know that I am God. The next, the, the big idea in Scripture, though, is this idea of Sabbath. Okay, so Sabbath means uh, literally the seventh day. Okay. Um, in the Jewish, if you know anything about Jewish culture or, or, or the, the Bible, the Sabbath was on Saturday from, from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. And, and in this time, the people would rest from their work. That's generally it. And then they made lots of rules for what resting from work meant. But it was this thing where they rested from work. And it comes from the first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, where it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. If you know the story of Genesis, it's, it's a poem about, about creation, about why God created the world. Okay? It's about why God created the world. And in the poem, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, God creates everything other than human beings. Okay? And then on day six, he creates people, human beings. And it, this is the, his, his day six ends with, with the Adam and Eve being made. And then that's where it picks up, chapter 2, verse 1. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he was doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. We won't stay on Genesis too long, because we're going to get something else. But just notice one thing. There's six day where God creates. The sixth day God makes human beings. So the seventh day is the seventh day for God, but it's the first day for Adam and Eve. So what do they experience of life on their first day? is a God who rests, is a world in which there is nothing. There's no work. Okay, All for all they know. They don't know what's happened before. All they know is life is about rest and relationship with God and with each other, and that's all they know. While praying about this and, and studying it, I, I thought about um, human birth. And that when a baby's born for the first time, and this is, you know, if you've had a baby in the last, I don't know, 20 years, probably. I'm not sure how long they've been doing this. Uh, I'm getting again into a, into a world in which I know very little. Um, the most important thing is that the baby's transferred to the mother's skin almost immediately, right? It's like the, new, the faster the better for connection to the mother. The baby, when it's born, I mean, I don't know what a baby feels. I've been talking to Zoe, but she's got like nothing to tell me about it. Um, <laughs> Is that, I mean, just, ima- just imagine, I'll just make it up for a minute. You're, you're born and, and you're experiencing everything. You have no idea what life is like except for what you've heard and what you've sensed. And you come and this is, you know, life. And you're transferred almost immediately to the mother into a place of rest. And that is supposed to be, and it's the most healthy thing for the human person, right? That's what they're, they're finding, is that the most healthy thing for the baby is that they're obviously safe that they're healthy, that they're with the mother, that they're on the mother's skin, that they're able to rest and nourish. And it's the same thing in Genesis. Is that God said that the minute that Adam and Eve are created, that they come into a place where they, they're just resting with God and where they, they, where they experience God as a person that's completely at rest, completely at peace. And this is how the Bible begins, right? The Bible begins with this story. And we can overlook these ideas about, you know, I'll tell you what I used to think about Rest. We can overlook them, but the Bible's story is about it, in many ways. So it starts like that. Now, work is not bad. I'm also not going to talk a lot about work because it's 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 not an either-or. Okay, we'll talk about that a lot, but we believe very strongly here in, in a both-and. So when I when I say things, I'm not necessarily not saying something else. It's both-and. Work is good. Work is good when it's when it's when it's when it's beautiful and life-giving, and it's for other people. And work is also not just the opposite of rest. So just think about that today. When I say rest, I'm not saying there's no, it's the opposite of work. Rest is just something else we're talking about. Okay, It's just something else. So human beings are born into a world of rest. And when I say rest, I'm also not saying that they're just not doing anything. I'm saying there's this thing called rest. And we, don't, we maybe don't know what it is. That's why I keep saying this. Maybe we don't know what rest is, what it really is. The rest that they have is that they're born into a world without worry, without anxiety, without a plan, even though we're doing the calling lab. I'm going to start the calling lab with a little a talk probably that day, because you, you can do it in a way that disregards what we talked about last week, about God being in control or this. They live in a world without a plan, without a purpose that they know of Yet. They live in a world where every they're living in the moment completely. Everything is full of joy and beauty and peace, and they're sucking the marrow out of life. Okay, They're there, they're loving it, they're with God. I can keep going, but you just picture it how you will. In our own contemporary context of the rat race, this is a guy that writes and tries to make this a bit more relative to life today. In our own contemporary context of the rat race of anxiety, the celebration of Sabbath is an act of both resistance and alternative. That is to other people, and most people aren't doing this. It is resistance because it is a visible insistence that our lives are not defined by the production and consumption of commodity goods. What he's saying is that by taking a Sabbath, he's literally saying take a Sabbath, by, by taking a Sabbath, what we're saying is that life is actually not about all the other things we're doing whether they be good or not. And life is actually not about making money, buying things, or doing anything like that. They're not bad. Life is not about them, though. Which is why if you gave yourself to that 100%, you'll see it's not going to be enough for a, a meaningful life. Another one. Because we do not rest, we lose our way. Poisoned by the hypnotic belief that good things come only through unceasing determination and tireless effort we can never truly rest. And for want of rest, our lives are in danger. This is why it's not just about doing things I'm talking about, because you can see that you can, you can take a week off, and you can feel restless. You can, you can have nothing to do for an entire day and feel anxious. It's not about doing something. It's about the inner place of your person. Okay? It's about where you live inside, and if you live at rest. Sabbath, the Sabbath idea is a, is a, is a detox. Now, I'm also not going to talk much about actually taking a Sabbath, but at the end, I'll say you should probably, maybe you could change some practical things about your life, just think practically, and maybe this is one. You could take a Sabbath, and what that means is, set at least one day during your week aside where you're not doing what you consider work, and you're really giving it to rest. But Netflix is often not restful. Okay? I tried all these things, and it's not, I don't know, I don't, I don't find it restful, even if I watched a ton of episodes in a row, and I'm still not rested. But sitting on the couch and I still don't feel rested. Try that, okay? But I'm not going to talk too much about the practical Sabbath. Sabbath as detox, this idea, is that the, God made the world in six days and he said human beings need to know that on their first day, just like the baby on the mother, that life is about this right here. You're going to have to do all kinds of things, but I need you to remember what life is truly about. Sabbath is a kind of detox because all through the week, if you look at it six days... There's all these things you have to do that are pulling your attention, okay? that are they're pulling you further and further away. Hopefully, you get to a point in your relationship with God where it doesn't do that. You can be at work, and you can, you can be walking with God. Okay? You're intimate with Him. You feel like He's always with you. That is how it is. But the Sabbath is a kind of detox because on this day, just like the fast we had last week, it's a time to detox from everything else by saying, you know what? It's like uh, last week we fasted from food, right? Some people did probably. Usually you eat food and then you stop eating food and it's a de- you're detoxing, okay? And it's hard and it hurts and, it, and, it, and, it's, and it's psychologically frustrating. But when you do it, you're detoxing. You're letting go of that thing and there's good things happening inside you. The Sabbath is a detox from doing, okay? Which is way more important than food, really. It's a detox from, from all the things that have happened, from, from your anxiety, from your endless thoughts, from the things you've had to do, from your crazy schedule, from your, from your distractions. It's, Sabbath is actually rest from distraction. That's why it's not just about work. It's about rest from all the things that you're coping with. And so it's a time to detox. to get Through the story of the Bible, God says, because realize, in Genesis chapter 2, which we just read, God doesn't say the word, uh, Sabbath, I don't think. He's not saying, on the seventh day I rested from all my work, therefore there's a new law called Sabbath. This doesn't come until later in the Bible when the world is full of brokenness and sin. And God says at that time, because he's so loving, this is what the, he gives the laws for, If you we don't usually think about rules like this, but he gives the rules because he sees that, human, that human beings are just falling all over themselves and ruining the world. And he says, they need a detox. You remember how I said on the first day of life, it's about rest, and they forgot. And so I'm telling you, every seventh day, rest. Do nothing. Rest from all your work. Everything that distracts you, that busies you, that fills your mind, good things, bad things, rest from them so that you can be detoxed, so that we can keep going until I finally take care of this problem. That's what the law is for. Don't kill each other, because it's just making it harder for me to clean up everything that's going on when you're constantly killing each other. Sabbath is the same way. So God later says, keep doing this. Every week, do this. Now, Jesus later says, just so you know that I'm not saying it's a law, that you have to do it. Jesus later says that the Sabbath, taking the Sabbath, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Which means that the Sabbath wasn't made as this thing that we have to do, which is how we think about God and rules. The Sabbath was made to detox people. It was made for people. It was made to help them to be free. Jesus' life, just look at a few of these things. Jesus' life is a picture of perfect rest and a rhythm where he lived in this. Luke chapter 5. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. The scriptures that I have for now are super simple, and I kept adding things and taking them away because I felt like it was too obvious. It's too just like, what am I going to say about that? I do have something to say, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed again in Mark. Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me to the disciples, his followers. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Notice the words. Mark chapter 6 after leaving them he went up on a mountainside to pray. These are these are three of many times. That if you look at Jesus' ministry you can and you read Matthew Mark and Luke especially you can pass over them quickly but Jesus is always it's like he's like got this antenna and he knows exactly when it's time to go away. And he often makes people upset. And he often leaves important meetings where there's many people there to see him because he has this very important thing he's got to do called solitude. And he doesn't care what anyone thinks. He just walks away. Even when they're kind of clamoring after him. <clears throat> Jesus has this rhythm in life. I've talked about this before. But he has this rhythm that you can look at as receiving and responding. Jesus' whole life works like this. He's in this relationship with his father. He says, he says this. The son of man, which he means myself. I myself... The son of man can do nothing on his own. Only what he sees the father doing. He's in this relationship with the father where it, he says, I can see what he's doing. What does he mean by that? It's not supposed to be so detached that we don't understand what it means and we can't ever relate. We're supposed to be able to live a life like Jesus lived. Okay. If we have a relationship with him. So he says, I can't do anything on my own. I only do. I only can do what I, what I see the father doing. Which what he's saying is, I have a relationship with God that's so intimate and so close that I sense what the Father wants to do, and that's what I do. I don't need to make my own decisions. And so he's like, so when he goes away, he's going away because he's going away to receive. This can look different, and it can look really practical in an urban setting like this. But he says, i got to go away, and I've got to receive. I've got I've to, in, in our words, I've got to detox again. Because I've been in crowds of people. It's not, it's not an introvert-extrovert thing, by the way. I've got to detox from crowds of people. I've got to, I got to just sit in his presence. i got to remember what he says about me. i got to remember what the story of Jesus is even about. Because if not, I'm going to make my whole life, including my Christianity, about doing things. About succeeding at things. Or about not doing things. Or about judging myself for doing things or not doing things or what other people think I'm doing or not doing. Instead, I've got to go over it and I've got to remember what life is about. Genesis chapter 2, on the first day of my life, I rested. And I had nothing. I didn't know there was anything. And it's not just, again, it's not just about doing work. I feel like i got to keep saying it. It's about the fact that I don't even know what success means. You see, on the first day of my life, as Adam and Eve, on the first day of my life, I don't, I don't know what success means. I don't know what a, what a life is that I'm supposed to live that would be appropriate that would be good. If you thought Christianity, some people think Christianity is about it's about doing the right thing or following rules. It's religious pressure. It's the complete opposite. On the first day in the Christian story, no one gets to tell you what your life should be about. You see that? Nobody gets to tell you what a, what, a, what a good life is and what a bad life is. Nobody gets to tell you what, if you're to the mark or if you're not to the mark, if you're a failure or a success. There are no categories on the first day. This is rest. That's what I mean by rest. There is nothing but peace. If you can imagine it, it's pretty tough. But Jesus lives in that place. He lives in a relationship with his father. In the first day of Jesus' ministry he's just before he's baptized. Right. And in, in the story, he's baptized in water. And it says, a voice came from heaven. And it said, my beloved son, and who I am pleased. Of which Jesus had done nothing special that we know of. And God said, I'm pleased with him now, not after he does good things. So I got to rece- Jesus receives, and then he leaves the solitary place, and he, and, he, and he heals people, and he teaches, and he speaks to them. He responds to what he's received, and then he goes back. Because I, I got nothing. I'm an, empty, I'm an empty vessel. God fills you with water to overflowing. It spills out in your life and creates fruit, and you got to go back. That's weakness. It's about weakness, it's about humility. It's not about becoming strong. It's about becoming weak. So this is the text that we'll finish with and that will stand for a minute. As Jesus and his disciples, so we've been skipped around, but this is in the gospel of Luke. Jesus has been teaching and doing ministry and, and going away, just like we saw, and coming back. And there's this story, don't read ahead, there's this story that is Super simple. Because after this, verse 42, which we'll read, it moves on to something else. This is the whole point. And Jesus and his disciples were on their way, and he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Martha was interested in Jesus. She was being hospitable. It was super important in her culture. She said, Jesus is a traveling teacher. Okay? Come to my house. You can stay here. All your, all your disciples, your students, they can stay here. You come to my house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. It's really important because in the culture, when Jesus would teach as a rabbi, as a Jewish rabbi, his students would sit on the floor in front of him. Normally, those students are all male, okay, because the students, the disciples are training usually to become a rabbi like the rabbi, and rabbis are men in this culture. And so it was was kind of unheard of to have a woman, except for Jesus, to have a woman sitting at his feet learning for what purpose? Because she's not going to be a rabbi. And so all the other people who have been culturally conditioned to believe this are, are, are going to be upset. And you actually kind of see it here. Mary can't help herself, though, even though she understands what's allowed and what's not allowed. I okay? think Genesis chapter 2, Mary's entering into this place. She's not thinking about what people think. She's not thinking about the rules we've created in life. She sees Jesus, and she's got to sit at his feet. But Martha, her sister, was distracted by all the preparation that had to be done. Distracted. She came to him, Jesus, and she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister sitting there has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Often the story is just made about how Martha's really busy, really busy, and doing all the housework, and she shouldn't, and that's definitely part of it. She's super distracted for a reason. She's conditioned to be distracted. She thinks this is her place, okay? Literally, I know this is kind of like a a thing, but she thinks, literally, in the story to interpret it, she thinks her place is in the kitchen, being hospitable and creating food for Jesus and his disciples. Okay? She thinks Mary should understand that. <laughs> like, come on, what are you doing? This is what we should be doing. Why are you here? You're going to bother the teacher, you're going to bother the pe- the guys. Come with me. And Jesus responds like this. Martha, Martha. That's why he says it like that if you're <laughs> Martha, Martha. Jesus answered, "You are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one, other translations, or really only just one thing. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. You hear what he's saying? He, he, he says to Martha, Martha, you're so stressed. I don't know if you can hear Jesus talking to you in this, but man, I'm like... You are worried and upset about so many things all the time, but only one thing, but few things are needed. I love the way he says it. There's very few things that are important. Martha, Michael, there's very few things that are important, or actually just one. (laughs) Mary has chosen what is better. See what he's saying? He's saying she's chosen what it is, okay? She's chosen something better than what you're doing. It's actually better than being responsible in this situation. And it won't be taken from... You. you see what he does? He becomes like an advocate for Mary, and he steps in the way between Martha and Mary, and he says, you're not going to take her away. Yeah. Because, and I want you to see the social part of it too, just because it is important, because we will often skip over it. He's going to let Mary break the rule and become a disciple in this moment. Okay? Doesn't, he doesn't care what the social conditions are. He made men and women. And he says... No one is going to take her away from here right now because she's, she's, she understands. She, she sees what is better. I want you to focus in on this one word, phrase, or indeed only one. So, Jesus' point in this little story, and that's the end of the story, is that we're worried and concerned about so many things, but there's only one thing that matters. This is, this is problematic for me because everything in me says that's unrealistic. Of course there's other things that matter. What am I going to do? Like, um, I, if I just do that and I don't show up at home for five days, I promise you that someone will tell me there's other things that matter. <laughs> you hear what Jesus is saying? Is we, we try to, we, In our anxiety, we try to make everything about managing time. But it's not a, he's not talking about managing time. He's talking about what, that what Mary has found is that she has cut through all the noise Okay? And she has found what Je- Jesus himself and what he's saying. She's been drawn to it, and she just wants to sit there and soak it up. Well, what's she soaking up? What is Jesus always doing? Is He's communicating the words of the Father, of God himself, the presence of the Father. You know, God is good news. Often we think, I don't know if I'm going to run to hear someone talk about God, but... They're running to Jesus because Jesus is, Jesus is communicating the real God, who he really is. And that God is good news. It's water for the soul. It helps. It's what we were made for. And so when he says, Mary found what is better than dishes. <laughs> he found what is be- she found what is better than being responsible or better than being worried about what other people think. Don't take it from her. What she's taking is everything that Jesus is receiving from the Father. And it's almost, it almost feels like, heresy to me. But Jesus himself says it. Actually, she's not even just drinking up Jesus. Jesus says, I don't do anything on my own. Jesus says, I'm nothing. I emptied myself of everything when I came here. I'm nothing. I'm full of the Father, and I'm, and I'm giving it out. Because people have been disconnected from the Father. That's why Jesus came, because we're not connected to God. So, we're going to close here in just a moment, but I want you to think about that as what Jesus is saying is that Mary has detoxed. She's detoxing, if we just use that, that idea. She's detoxing from everything else that you're worried about. And she's come to the one thing that we need. You see, because we always have a relationship with God. It's always present. In fact, God is, God is near to all of us. Okay? But it says in the scriptures, even if you've know, you have a friend, if you're here and you hear this and you say, I don't really know much about this. I don't know much about Jesus. I don't call myself a Christian. Or if you know somebody, what the scriptures say about that is that God is actually not far from any of us. And it says it's as if we would just reach out our hands. It's as if we could touch him. He's so close, even if we've never acknowledged him. So if he's always there, then why can't we hear his voice? Why do we feel like he's far? Why do we feel so frantic? It's because at the center of our lives is still that thing that relationship with God, but it's crowded with all this toxic busyness because we're scared to death at moments to deal with, to to, to come into the quiet of who we really are and nothing else, with nothing to prove, nothing to do, all letting all the fears just rise up. And so we have to come into a place of silence and solitude, and I hope that even Jesus' life is just an example of that. That Jesus' life is just really, if you look at his ministry, is just a movement from the mountain where he goes into the desert, into the mountain. By the way, the desert and the mountain are not always fun places. So silence and solitude is not fun. And often when you're doing silence and solitude, it feels uh, like it's pointless, which is the point. Because we've, we've, been, we, we've taught ourselves to believe that it's got to have an obvious... Uh, um, Pay back. That's good. And an obvious return, yeah. But the whole point of silence and solitude is detoxing from it. And you will see that as you come into literally spending time in silence with God, even five minutes a day would change. I promise it would change things for you. Quiet your soul. And then living in a space of rest. This is the, this is the next part. I don't think I have something, but... The invitation to silence, to solitude and silence, is just that. It's an invitation to enter more deeply into the intimacy of relationship with the One who waits just outside the noise and busyness of our lives. It's an invitation to communication and communion with the One who is always present, even when our awareness has been dulled by distraction. It's an invitation to the adventure of spiritual transformation in the deepest places of our being—an adventure that will result in greater freedom in authenticity and surrender to God than we have yet, to exp- we have yet experienced. If we, don't, if we don't have a relationship with God, this is still important even as a first step because if your life is full of beliefs or ideas, things you picked up along the way, it's going to be really hard to have a relationship with God when we have what the scriptures call, if we're a Christian or not, when we have all this devotion to other gods It's very hard to have a relationship with God. And so silence and solitude is actually the path to become a Christian too because to to have a relationship with God, we must die to ourselves, it says, which is the ultimate form of silence. To let go of everything we have. This is for everybody today. To let go of everything we have, to let go of our own uh, good works and our bad works and our ideas and our beliefs, whatever they are, and to let go of them and to like Mary, come and sit at Jesus' feet in humility and say, I don't know how to live life. I don't know how to do it well. I don't know how to do it well. And to receive what Jesus has done for us. He'll give his life for ours. Uh, In in Jesus's, the end of Jesus's life after this, um, just after he had dinner with his followers for the last time, which we'll celebrate, he was taken to a, to a cross where he died and the cross is a, is another form of silence that God himself was silencing himself with the, and, and, and between Jesus dying on the cross and the story where he rises again, there are three days. And when we celebrate that in the spring, there's a day, a Saturday before Easter is called a uh, Holy Saturday, but traditionally when people celebrate it, it's a day of silence. It's a day of silence because it's a time when God has died and he's still dead. So it's mourning. there's nothing to say. It's waiting. It's as he says, who is he who he says, said he was? So as he, as, he, as he dies and becomes silent, God will speak. And so three days later, he rose again from the dead. And, and uh, that's the journey that we have to take. We take it the first time we follow Jesus, and we take it again and again and again, every day, every morning, every afternoon, every evening, every week. We take this journey to say, to have a relationship with God, I must let go. I've got to detox, and I've got to come back through the cross to die to myself in silence and waiting, and God will raise me up again. He will speak to me. He will heal me. It's, it's, it's counterintuitive, because I'm telling you, what it, the point of the story is that Problems are solved when we stop trying. Problems are solved. Transformation comes. Want to make it really practical? Comes when we let go and we sit at Jesus' feet like Mary without a plan. We cry out anything that we got to, get it off, and then we just sit there. I say, God, help me. On the night before Jesus was betrayed, Elodie and and Lisa, you can come. On the night before Jesus was betrayed... Uh, He was with his followers in in an upper room. And it says this in Matthew chapter 26. While they were eating dinner, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it. This cup. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's house. What Jesus is saying, especially about the cup, I want you to see today is it's a covenant, which means promise that can't be broken, that God is on God's terms and God's side. And what it means is the, pro- the covenant means that it's safe to follow Jesus. It's safe to give up. It's safe to let go. It's safe to not have a plan. It's safe to not defend yourself. It's safe to come in this year, to think about a year and say, I've got my plans. I've got what I think my issues are I've got my hopes and my dreams and my aspirations but what I want to do is I want to sit quietly with God that's what I want to do and in those quiet moments there's a covenant that God accepts me he loves me there's, that's not the problem if we come through Jesus the, the quiet is not that you've done something wrong because you've been forgiven the quiet is, a, is, is meant for something God is not a vending machine that's why we have those there it's not a vending machine he doesn't just respond like that because like a good father, he knows what's best for you. And so often what we have to do is we have to detox. We've got to walk through the desert for a little while before what, happened, what needs to happen happens. Relationships with God are real and they're yeah, they're real. As we end here, uh, we'll take communion. And so when we take communion, what we do is we, we take the bread and we dip it in the cup. And it's, it's a way of remembering Jesus. Okay, it's an ex- I've been talking and you've been listening. And this is a way to, ex- to, to do it a bit more experientially. When you take the bread, you're, you're taking it as if you're there with Jesus. And you're saying, Jesus gives you the bread and you take it. And Jesus says, Michael, that's my body. I broke it for you. Every time you eat it, I want you to remember that. In the same way, when I dip it in the cup and I, and I drink the juice, it's juice. He says, Michael, that's my promise to you. That through Jesus, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I see you as Jesus. So this is not about, I've got, to, I've got to get rid of all the distraction in my life and become a monk. Because God will accept me then. And he'll talk to me. That's not the point. If that's, I missed miss the point. The point is, God has a promise. And he'll talk to me if I, if I don't slow down. He'll still break through. If I want to have a relationship with God that is full of his presence, which is good for me then I should slow down. That's what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath is made for me, not me for the Sabbath. Thank you for listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org.